Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, neither you nor I are parents. But there was one time that I was on the verge, at least I was worried that I was on the verge of having to give at least part of the talk to a child. How did you find yourself in this situation? Well, it was all, um, all due to an episode of Fear Factor, <laughs> which I was watching with my young nephews and niece. And, uh, they had an eating challenge oh, and no. Oh, no. The, the contestant in question had to eat a plate of reindeer testicles and the host is describing this reindeer testicle challenge and my sweet, well-meaning nephew turns to me and says, Aunt Kristen, what are testicles? <laughs> and as I looked around the room and turned bright red. I'm sure. Yes. I turned bright red looking around the room, searching for how to say this. I was on the verge of saying, ask your mom when she gets home. Uh, when my, my oldest nephew, his older brother pipes right in and very nonchalantly goes, Oh, well, those are your balls. And the conversation was over. My, my younger nephew was like, Oh, you were saved. I was saved from having to explain what testicles do. Hmm. But something to a preview, though, if we are uh, ever find ourselves with children of what is coming down the line, because this question of when to have the talk about sex and anatomy with kids comes directly from a listener who was in a quandary about when to talk to her daughter, what to talk about, how honest to be, how to frame sex. So I figured, well, the best thing that we can do is research it, right? Yeah. And kind of help parents, Mm -hmm. give them the little nudge that they need to be open and honest with their kids. Maybe call up my oldest nephew if we have any (laughs) anatomical questions to ask him. (laughs) Yeah. He can be our other source. Yes. Um, But a lot of these studies that we looked at about having the talk with your kids pointed out that a lot of parents aren't having them early enough. And they're not necessarily covering all the bases, so to speak. Yes. In 2009, there was a widely publicized study that was published in the journal Pediatrics, which found that more than 40% of adolescents had already had intercourse before talking to their parents about safe sex, birth control, or STDs. So the big, uh, I guess, call from that study was make sure you're not doing it too late. A majority of parents had at some point sat their adolescent and teenage kids down to have the talk, but it seemed like it was a little too little too late. Yeah, they were a little bit behind the ball. The study found there was a lot of consistency in the areas of discussion and when they happened. And during adolescence pre-sexual stage, which includes hand-holding and kissing, the typical discussions that parents had with their kids focused on girls' bodies, menstruation, and sex within a relationship. In the pre, when, when the kids were in a pre-coital stage, which includes genital touching and oral sex, discussions with parents focused on decision making and STDs with some discussion of relationships and male development. 
Once the kids had already initiated intercourse, then the conversation shifted to STDs and pregnancy pre- uh, prevention and what to do if a partner refuses to use a condom. All of this is information that could have been uh, pretty well used before intercourse, probably. Yeah, and that that pattern was based on surveys with 141 parents of kids ages 13 to 17 that were taken at four different points over a year. And that issue of what to do if a partner refuses to use a condom is related to consent. And that's one thing that consistently doesn't come up so much in these parent talks about sex, which I can imagine is not an easy thing to do or a comfortable thing to do. Um, but one, one other finding about who gets to talk and when daughters based on this 2009 pediatric studies almost always get their sex education from their parents a little bit sooner, probably because of menstruation. Mm -hmm. The time is uh, ticking with menarche, (laughs) the onset of the first period. And um, with sons, about half of parents hadn't talked to their sons about how to use a condom or choosing birth control before their son had had intercourse. And um, with daughters, two-fifths had not discussed how to choose methods of birth control or what to do if a partner refused to wear a condom until after, again, after the daughter has already had intercourse. So while parents might say, hey, sex exists. This is how it happens. Do you have any questions? Can this awkwardness end? (laughs) A lot of times those more granular and very important issues of birth control options and consent and how to put on condoms doesn't come up. Yeah, because a lot of times parents might think they've had the talk. They might say like, don't have sex. Just wait until you're married or wait until you're older and ready without getting into those details that you're talking about. And someone who confirms this is Dr. Karen Soren, who's the director of adolescent medicine at New York Presbyterian Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital. She said that a lot of parents think that they've had this conversation with their kids. They say something awkward. Everybody blushes and they leave the room. But the kids tend not to remember that it happened or they think their parents were talking about something else. But, and this is because she says that parents sometimes say things more vaguely because they're uncomfortable and think they've addressed the issue, but the kids don't even hear it. It goes in one ear and out the other. And not so surprisingly, research has also found that parents might be a little vague and sidestep a direct sex talk because it is, as we have said, it is uncomfortable. This is coming from a 2000 study sponsored by the Guttmacher Institute, which found that while parents believed that talking to their kids was important and could be effective, there were barriers to communication, specifically parents thinking that their kids are too young and not knowing how to talk about it. And I think that age issue is very pertinent because there's a connection in a lot of people's brains between talking about sex and sort of setting off some kind of Rube Goldberg machine that will lead to premarital sex down the road. Yeah, the fear that if I talk about sex at all, my kid is going to want to go do it immediately. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of sex education experts will urge parents to begin talking to kids as young as possible, not so much about the mechanics of sex, but even, you know, when young children start to ask where if they see a pregnant woman, where the where babies come from, what that's all about. And you can start using more anatomical language, such as me not being scared to use the word testicle and um, and, and start framing it in that way. And of course, get into more of the details as kids age and get into puberty and have questions themselves. 
And one reason that parents should definitely bring up the whole sex talk thing is that their teenagers just aren't going to bring it up. This is coming from Christopher Dadis, who's a psychology professor at Ohio State University. He found that adolescents were more willing to talk about their dates, identity, and how they showed affection. But very few of the teens, if any, that were in the study disclosed what they did when unsupervised and whether they had sex. Uh, he did find that girls discussed more than boys, and the mom was the primary confidant for both. I guess there's something scary about going to your dad and talking about sex, maybe. But I don't know. For, for, but yeah, so mom was the confidant for both. And he found that what adolescents are willing to talk about does change as they get older, where younger adolescents showed a much higher level of communication than their older peers. And teens who indicated having a high degree of trust with their parents ended up disclosing more. And that's a particularly strong correlation for girls. And a lot of the experts out there do urge parents to foster a good relationship with your child where um, he or she will feel comfortable coming to you. Because if they feel like either sex or their bodies are these terrible things, when things start happening or they start having questions, they're not going to be willing to come and ask you questions, and they'll try to find information from other sources. Well, and that's the thing. Those other sources that you bring up are so widely available now because kids have access to the Internet saying a phrase which makes me feel like <laughs> like a much older person than I am. But it's true. I mean, it is uh, all of that information is out there, and kids are exposed to a lot more sexual content than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I feel like a lot of this is probably common sense, but, um, but it's still good to talk about because it is, uh, I think it's a, a formative experience, not just for kids who sit down and have that talk, but also for parents in the looming issue of when is this going to happen? Um, and a February 2011 study in pediatrics, which was led by Dr. Aletha Akers, an obstetrician and gynecologist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, on the upside found that parents who participated in intervention programs experienced improved communications with kids. Basically, these are programs uh, where parents can go in, learn about the best ways to talk about sex with their kids, things to share, resources to point them to. Yeah, and these parents who participated ended up having better and more frequent conversations with their children and uh, ended up being more comfortable than parents who didn't participate. But they do point out the whole issue of, well, if they're going to these classes, obviously they're mo- more motivated to provide accurate and sufficient information for their kids. So it helps going to these classes. Um, and the the researchers also pulled out some teachable lessons for parents who might be wondering how to sit their kid down, have this talk. And the researchers advise to talk early and often, um, use teachable moments, of, such as uh, when questions naturally arise about romantic relationships. About, or, or fear factor. Yes, or fear factor and reindeer, reindeer testicles. And speaking of testicles, use anatomically correct terms. Um, they say that slang and euphemisms indicate that something is wrong, bad, or different about genitalia. Right, because you teach your kids what an arm is, what a hand is. Mm-hmm. You know, teach them what <laughs> a vulva or a penis is instead of using euphemisms, because then all of a sudden it's like, we shouldn't talk about it. Or you could just sort of <laughs> use only euphemisms, like For calling, everything. Your hand, calling your hands flippers. Or slap pads. <laughs> 
<laughs> slap pads, yes. <laughs> Clap machines. Um, also, the researchers urge parents to not lie or lecture. This was a great quote um, in Time magazine from Terry Fisher, who is an Ohio State psychologist. She says, telling an adolescent not to have sex is not likely to be an effective approach. And that's the whole thing with this, um, this issue of when to give kids the talk, because... At the end of the day, we know that by the age of 19, according to the CDC, 7 in 10 kids will have, and by kids I mean teenagers, these 19-year-olds, will have engaged in sexual intercourse, whereas a majority of them are also getting the talk from parents. So we might be wondering, well, does it do any good at all? And the answer is yes, because you're arming them with information uh, and choices of when to, when it's right for them, whether it's right for them at all. I mean, seven in 10, that means three in 10 of them say, no, not for me. Mm-hmm. Well, kids aren't the only ones who sometimes are not armed with enough information. Tends to be parents, too, who get the wrong idea about their kids. The Daily Beast cites a 2009 study that found that of the 1,011 to 14-year-olds they surveyed, uh, half of them had had a boy or a girlfriend, and a quarter thought that oral sex or going all the way is part of a tween romance. And only 7% of parents surveyed thought that their own children had gone any further than making out. So this is this is actually a pretty common pattern. That parents are like, la, 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 don't know what's going on. And kids are like, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, and parents also tend to have an overinflated confidence with how much their their sex talk is going to make an impact. For instance, 93%, this is according to, I should say, um, a 2011 poll commissioned by Planned Parenthood and the Center for Latino Adolescent and Family Health. They found that 93% of parents feel confident about their ability to influence whether or not their child has sex. However, most of the same parents, 64%, say their own mothers and fathers did a poor job educating them about sex and sexual health. So maybe all that means is that with this newer generation of parents, we're trying to fill in the gaps from, you know, a legacy of silence about sex in the home. Yeah, yeah, could be. And they just, because it's so awkward, they just think that they're doing a better job than they are. Like, uh, just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this same study found that 82% of parents have talked to their children about topics related to sexuality. But when it comes to those tougher, more complicated topics, like we talked about earlier, Many adolescents are just not getting the support they need to delay sex and prevent pregnancy. And they found that most conversation topics focused on relationships and the parents' own values about sex and when it should take place. Fewer, however, are bringing up how to say no and how to access birth control. Yeah, and that whole issue of consent, I'm going to harp on it. It is so, so important because it's often not being talked about in sex education programs in school and I feel like that's that's such a crucial piece of comprehensive sex ed um, that is that often just gets gets left out of things. Um, and I think a lot of kids, as a result, don't know that they can say no. Right. And then there's the issue that uh, that we touched on with earlier statistics of whether or not boys and girls need a different kind of talk. Well, it seems like there are uh, societal differences in how we approach boys and girls. And the New York Times in 2009 pointed this out in a 
gender sex ed article. Um, they said that there's this tendency to treat boys as potential criminals and girls as potential victims in how we warn them about sex or warn them about the consequences of their actions. And some of the doctors and psychologists quoted said that we really need to give boys the same consideration as girls and the same support, but also teach them about respecting girls and adults. Psychologist Michael Thompson, who wrote Raising Cain, Protecting the Emotional Life of Boys, said that it's really more of an issue of well-behaved versus not well-behaved kids. And he says that I would teach boys that there are many adults who are scared of boys, who have fears of boy aggression. And I think politeness is the surest way that a boy can reassure the adult world that he is okay and trustworthy. And they go on to talk about the differences in approaching sex ed between boys and girls. And maybe it's for that that reason of how um, there is that societal perception of how, how boys approach sex and what they need and how girls are more, let's be honest, are approached by sex um, and what they what they need in terms of uh, pregnancy prevention and birth control and things like that. According to 2010 data from the CDC, female teens are much more likely to have received instruction on methods of birth control um, and also educated about more educated about how to say no to sex compared with males, whereas male teens are more likely to have been educated about how to use a condom. Right. And I thought it was interesting that that Seventeen magazine actually gave kids advice on how to approach their parents because it's just awkward for everyone involved. I am someone who never, never approach my parents about this. And I think I mentioned in our sex ed podcast previously that my mother's way of dealing with this was, I think I was... 18 and mom earmuffs. I think I had already had sex for the first time, but I was sitting on the couch and she looks at me and she's like, uh, do we need to talk about anything? And I was like, no, no, no. We never had the talk. We never, we never, I never had a book. I never had a pamphlet. Nothing. Yeah. Um, I, I read romance novels. We covered that. (laughs) Um, but the, the advice from 17 to kids who want to talk to their parents is that maybe try approaching them one at a time because this helps the kid feel less like your parents are this united front who are going to judge you and ground you for asking questions. Uh, maybe admit your nerves to them so that the, they know you're serious. Pick the right time and place. You know, they, they suggest that kids rely on teachable moments just as much as parents do. So if you see... You know, a boyfriend and girlfriend in the park, you can be like, oh, by the way, I have a boyfriend. Or, you know, maybe something less. Don't spring it on them. Pick the right time and place. Um, and also plan what you want to ask and talk about with your parents so that you're prepared also. And one cohort of adolescents and teens that we need to talk about that are often left out, not only of sex ed talks in school, but also at home, are LGBTQ youth. Um, because according to a lot of statistics, some of which we found at the Healthy Teen Network, um, queer teens are actually more likely than heterosexual youth to have had intercourse, to have had more partners, and to have experienced sexual intercourse against their will. And a lot of researchers will attribute this to a lack of education and knowledge. They aren't being, um, their specific issues aren't being talked about. Right. And on that topic of education, um, they cite a 2000 study that found that 84% of young lesbians reported feeling that they were at zero risk, zero risk of HIV and sexually transmitted infections. 
And, you know, further on this topic, sexual orientation is among the three topics most likely to be excluded from a sex ed course right up there along with abortion and how to use condoms. So there are just a lot of things in sex ed courses or at home that just aren't getting talked about. Right. And so uh, in addition to just basic issues of sexual health, um, it's important for parents to educate themselves about sexual orientation, gender expression, homophobia, um, and to not make assumptions based on appearance and providing safety and support. This all goes into, um, you know, the, the larger need for home environments to be trusting and safe spaces for, for kids. Exactly. A 2001 study in the American Journal of Public Health found that LGBTQ youth who receive gay-sensitive instruction report fewer sexual partners, less frequent sex, and less substance use before having sex than those who received the more common sex education. And I I was looking around for good resources online um, about talking parents talking specifically to queer adolescents and youth, and they're really, there's not a ton of direct information out there. Um, there was that uh, episode of Glee this season that got a ton of press because um, the uh, gay teen Kurt's dad sits down with him and has the talk, and everyone's like, whoa, it's a, it's a gay teen sex talk. This is crazy. But when you look at what he actually advises him, um, this was pointed out by the organization Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, um, and their uh, Washington DC chapter, they were, they were commenting that the speech that he gives them is, is a speech that, that any teen could use and that could be helpful. And, um, and they, PFLAG points out that a parent's willingness to listen and support their child and provide an environment that allows the child to eventually have a healthy sexual relationship is the most important thing. And you can apply that to any adolescent or any teen. Right. Giving them a safe space to come to you, whether your teen is gay or straight to feel like they can ask you questions and not hide from you if something bad happens, basically. And so my big question at the end of all of this, um, because any kind of health advocate will agree that, yes, parents need to talk to their kids about sex, whether it's saying no, not having it, how to negotiate that, what to do when it does happen, if it has already happened, you know, pregnancy prevention, STD prevention, and all of those other important steps. Um, but my question was whether or not it really matters. And according to the CDC, I mean, I don't know that health advocates are going to say no, it does not matter. But for some peace of mind out there for parents who have to give the talk, have given the talk. Kudos to you because parental communication about sex education topics is associated with delayed sexual initiation, increased birth control methods, and condom use among sexually experienced teenagers. So in other words, it allows them to make more informed choices. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and support. They they know they're supported at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I am from my very borderline experience with talking about something even broadly sex related to a child. I I have a lot of respect for parents out there who have done that. My mom sat me down for a rather awkward talk when I was 10 or 11. Huh. 
Well, yeah, that's what they say. The experts say that it should be an ongoing discussion. Mm-hmm. And, and you touched on earlier having age-appropriate discussions. You know, like, where do babies come from? You're going to answer that differently to a four-year-old than you are a nine-year-old. Yeah, and if your 18-year-old is still asking you where babies <laughs> come from, parents, it's time to get on the ball. Okay. Good advice. <laughs> so with that, let's turn it over to... Our parents, uh, have you given the talk? What was it like? Um, listeners out there who have received the talk, did anything stand out to you? Did your parents, um, were they horribly awkward? <laughs> were they open? What made a difference to you? Um, and, and parents too, what age is there some kind of golden age to have the, start having those more detailed talks about sex? Let us know. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send. All of your stories that we can't wait to hear. And in the meantime, we've got a couple letters here to read to you. This is an email from Simone talking about our birth control podcast. And she says that I'm a 19-year-old student from Australia and have been on the pill since I was 16. I'm a virgin and I have never used it for actual birth control. I'm on it because I had horrible, irregular periods and painful PMS symptoms. And to aid in this, I am on the pill. I know that several of my friends are on it for the same reason, many of whom are also not using it for contraception, and I think this is a big issue that you missed in your podcast. Whenever people find out that I'm on it, they ask me about sex, and I have to tell them I don't use it for that at all. It gets especially annoying for people who don't know how horrible it is to have bad PMS symptoms or an irregular period and ask me why I even bother. At this point in my life, I couldn't imagine not being on it. It's much more convenient, and when I was traveling last summer, I didn't have to bother with any PMS or anything. For me, it's just the best option, and I know that when I do eventually have sex, it will be there for me. But until then, it's just a nice convenience to improve an otherwise horrible aspect of my life. Thanks, Simone. I actually had a friend in high school who was on birth control for the very same reason, way before she was sexually active. Well, I've got an email here from Brian, and it is in response to our episode about nail polish. And just to give you a little background, he works at an elementary school as a TA and helps uh, run an out-of-school program in the afternoon. And he writes, a few weeks ago, my wife and I thought it would be a good idea to go and get our nails done. This being my wife's first time, I thought it would be great. Anyway, I had taken my students to the swimming pool, and after putting on my flip-flops, another teacher noticed my toes were orange and laughed out loud. She thought it was in good fun, as I have an over-the-top sense of humor. And after a while, a few boys in the group also saw and thought it was great that I have orange toenails. Since then, I have had many boys come up to me and ask if they too can get their toenails painted. I think it's great, and if a boy or a man wants to feel pampered every once in a while, then he should. And I heartily agree. So thanks to Brian and to everyone else who's written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can send your Facebook love to us on, well, of course, on Facebook. And you can also tweet us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can find a lot of information about how to educate yourself about sex and giving the talk to kids at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?